Too many cooks spoil the plot. A Wannabe Bond Adventure. The sunlight hitting the trail of dust on the windows of my office in the down part of town suggested it was mid-morning. I'd been sleeping on the couch since a final rent notice had been pinned to my apartment door the week before. The other alternative to bed down with Attila the Mum would have been going back to the war zone, with the only advantage it was also in the cheap zone. My mother and I shared little outside the Winarby name. My name is Bond, Winarby Bond, and thanks to my grandmother, I come from a long line of Winarbys. She was a Pankhurst Winarby, my mother a Monroe, and me... Well, I guess once I got a liking for martini milkshakes, around about my tenth birthday, I was hooked. I grew up with the advantage of being central to most of the minority groups, so I excelled in failure. The day after leaving school, as in enforced suspension, I applied for work at a pest exterminator's office. Unfortunately, I had misread the P.E. sign on the door, and soon found myself to be a private eye. Not many clients, much work or pay, but then that was part of my vocation. I had been playing solo for well over a month, and the sexual tension was building up. However, right then the office was as unfriendly and empty as a morgue on Halloween, so I was very receptive when the door suddenly swung open and a dame walked in. She was big, she was blonde, and thanks, Max Factor, she was beautiful. She wore nothing but cleavage and high heels, and her perfume smelt like invitation. Hi, ma'am, what's a dive like this doing near a girl like you, I asked. Okay, it was corny, but I've never claimed to be an intellect. She laughed, and it was like dollar coins spurting out of a poker machine. In a sultry voice that encouraged me to become a born-again pervert, she said, Hi yourself, girlfriend. I found myself replying an octave higher than soprano. What seems to be the problem, honey? Her face drooped, and a small frown tried to force itself through the Botox. I've got troubles. She said. From where I was sitting, I could see she was advertising both of them and asked, So, how can I help you, sugar? My name isn't sugar or honey. The blonde demurred. Hey, then, candy, I tried. Sweetie? The blonde shook her head. Close, but not quite. It's glorious tits. But everyone calls me Nellie. You look nervous, Nellie, I said, foregoing the obvious repartee. I'm always nervous. I need a man fast, she whispered. Sorry, you've come to the wrong place, ma'am, I said. Then moving aside the large sign on my desk that says, Grow dope, plant a man, I pushed the smaller one before her, which cranks up my name and credentials. But if you need a private investigator, I'm the best. I decided not to use the old joke that I investigated privates. After all, 
I was keen on getting the job. It meant the difference between living and gastronomic suicide. She perched on the edge of my desk and swung her legs over the side, showing off the edge of her Brazilian. Then, taking a dainty handkerchief out of her purse, she lodged it carefully under her mascara and began to cry. I have a half-brother who owes a lot of money to Doughboy Donovan. That could be sticky, I quipped. Doughboy gets cut up real bad when he's out of bread. I knew Doughboy on a personal basis. Only he was the one owing me, and it seemed his wallet was in a permanent state of constipation. But then so was his face, since the heel of my stiletto had accidentally found itself on his forehead. He hadn't liked me much before, so I was pretty sure I was off his Christmas list now. Are you offering me a slice of the action, I asked. She was cute, but hey, it had been a long time between rent payments, and I was eyeing her more as business than pleasure. Come with me. She beckoned like a black widow spider, enticing a mate, and I was ready to lose my head. She led me outside to the tradesman's entrance, where a Porsche was pretending to be a bread van. I got in beside her. She revved the car up until it sounded as if it was being neutered, and we drove to the wet side of the city where all the drunks were anonymous. Finally, she pulled up outside a nightclub called Bums and Tits, a beer-swilling, smoke-ridden haven for the chronically unemployed, where you could always find sex, drugs, and hitmen. I had known it well, though couldn't help but notice it had become a sleazy dive since I had last been there, a real home away from home. Rick the barman usually looked like a humpback whale, but was currently in disguise as a responsible adult. He stood polishing glasses with a dish rag bought as a WW2 souvenir. I could see he had put up a new sign. Guys, no shirt, no service. Gals, no shirt, no charge. Good one, Rick, I said, nodding to the sign. Yeah, well, wannabe, there are exceptions, you know, he smirked. Sometimes we offer gals a drink to cover up. I looked around the room and noticed we had a few new punters. There was a dame over by the bar singing, I fall to pieces. Which, from the sound of her voice, left me thankful for small mercies. She certainly had an hourglass figure, but in her case the sand had landed in all the wrong places and was now drifting out with the tide. Who's the broad? I asked Rick. He followed my gaze. That's Dina, Dina Mike, he said. She's the new torch singer. Well, she's not lighting my fire, I said. So maybe you need a wick, wannabe, he said, and guffawed at his own joke. <laughs> Believe me, she fires on all cylinders once she gets hot. She's no flame of splinter woods. He nodded further down the bar. I knew Splinter from the old days, along with his pipe-puffing sidekick, Smoky Embers. 
They were arsonists, but lately had branched out into occupational hazards. They're both here to get away from the heat, Rick whispered. They turned my way and their faces lit up when they saw me. Hey, Winarby, ain't seen you in a while. As I remember, you owe me, and now's a good time to pay me back, Splinter said. I could tell he had a chip on his shoulder, and as I didn't want to get into a fight in front of my new client, I said flippantly, Don't be a sap, Splinter. You know money doesn't grow on trees. Thanks to you crashing in on my turf, my bankroll is dead wood right now. I'll pay you back once I get the lucre Doughboy Donovan owes me. Dinah began singing, I'm too hot, too hot to handle... And she was looking all loving at Splinter. I decided she was a good match for him. Anyway, Nellie was getting restless beside me. Don't bother with her, she said jealously. She's been going down the ladder of success rung by rung. She pointed to the other corner of the room. My brother is over there. I peered over to where she was looking and was disappointed. I recognized him from mugshots on recent election posters. Now, I don't like politicians. The way I see it, all politicians are like diapers. Both need changing frequently and for the same reasons. Apparently, the electorate felt the same way. He had bombed at the polls. So you're related to the Honorable Tim Lardin. I said to Nellie. I could see the family resemblance. He was blonde, blue-eyed, and button-nosed, dressed in a baggy white suit. There were two minders sitting beside him, scoffing on Turkish delight, trying to be invisible. One was short and slim, with a thin, peaky face like a rodent the kind of fellow whose mind and body go in different directions. The other was just as ugly. Even his mother would have had a problem letting the stork leave the package. He could have passed as twins with a hippopotamus. He was fat, and maybe back in the good old days, he had worn his hair in a crew cut. But the crew had long since deserted, and so had his hair. From the look of them all, I was in tough company. Even so, if Tim Larden was her brother, he was a potential client, and as eating is an old-fashioned habit I like to cling on to, I thought I'd best introduce myself. I wandered over towards him. The name is Bond, Wenarby Bond, I said, holding out my hand. My, you have a good memory, he sneered. Now, I refuse to have a battle of wits with an unarmed person, so I just ignored the remark and thought I'd like to kill him instead. Then I thought better of it. After all, as my client, my goal was to keep this one alive. He looked down at the whiskey he was drinking. Sorry, he said. Abuse is just an old habit of mine. He looked lovingly into his glass before taking a hearty gulp. I guess I really should give up the booze, eh? He said reluctantly. My physician reckons I'm a candidate for a heart attack. I eyed up the triple scotch he was gulping down and thought if it was a heart attack he was after, he was on the wrong kick. 
My view is that heart attacks are God's revenge for eating his animal friends, and I like to think that whiskey is strictly vegetarian. Well, my motto is, eat, drink, and die anyway, I murmured, trying to be friendly. What? What's that about dying? He said, looking around nervously. It was a joke, I said, as I sat down beside him. So how can I help? A hood by the name of Doughboy Donovan is trying to blow me up, he said. Well, you could always beat him at his own game and commit suicide first. I was on the joke wagon again, a habit of mine when under stress. Just double up on the pizzas, fries, and pork chops, and you can be a DIY merchant. Mr. Larden gave a wimpy smile. Enough with the smart arsery, wannabe. Let's get down to business. He leant towards me. How are you placed with the police around here? I shrugged. I can take them or leave them, and most of the time I like to ignore them. Unfortunately, they seem to feel differently about me. I'm often invited to join them behind bars, and not ones that serve alcohol. Hmm, interesting, said the Polly. You've had a few run-ins with them then, eh? I nodded. It was true. There had been a number of occasions when my clients had finished up dead, and so had the cops who had been trying to protect them. Sometimes it got very depressing. There was no doubt I was simply a victim of bad timing. After all, everyone was going to die sooner or later. I just gave them something more interesting to have written on their death certificate for the morning after. The blonde baby face looked me up and down as if I was a bad smell. Hmm, he repeated. Well, I have to be careful. I can't afford to get a bad reputation in my profession. I'm hoping to be prime minister one day. Yeah, and one day will be quite enough, I thought. He looked like being a bastard was his true vocation. As if he had suddenly made up his mind, he hauled himself off his chair. Follow me, he said. There's someone I'd like you to meet. He strode towards the far end of the room, veering off through a door set in a recess. His two minders waddled close behind him. Come on, Wanarby. Nellie gave a suggestive pout and went after them, swaying like an S-bend. Then, making a U-turn, she looked back to make sure I was following before disappearing into the same room. I was about to tag along when I saw Rick making eye movements behind him. They were, I want to talk to you, signals. He came towards me, and as he got close, he whispered, The drinks your friends ordered are over by the bar. I was just about to say, they're not my friends, and they didn't order anything, when I picked up on Rick's cryptic message. Looking back into the gloom, I saw what he was referring to, and my missing breakfast threatened to meet the missing lunch. There were two goons at the bar I knew only too well as old adversaries of mine. One was an empty space of a man who fancied himself quite the dapper blade, called Razor Sharp. He was a big-time crook with a low IQ. He sold his services to the highest bidder, and what he did with his time usually got highlighted on the front pages of the daily press. 
one of his pastimes was cutting people's throats. Razor's just come in with rusty chain, said Rick, nodding to his companion. They were in here yesterday talking to your girlfriend and her brother. Rusty gave the impression he was depriving some village of its idiot. But what he lacked in brains, he made up with brawn. Thanks, Rick. I owe you one. I didn't like the odds. Too many people who didn't like me were under the same roof, and the dame I'd got the hots for, Nellie, was the common denominator. I was about to make a quick exit out of the door when Razor saw me and sauntered over. Well now, if it isn't Monabi Bond, how come you're sticking your nose back in this joint? It isn't as if it's Fright Night. How are you, Razor? I smiled. You're looking a little duller. Maybe it's your batteries need changing. The quip was electrifying. I think we've got some unfinished business, bumrag. The last time we met, I gave you a close shave. This time, I'll make it even closer. I saw Nellie coming back towards me. She ignored Razor and Rusty completely and took my arm roughly. Come on, one Arby. The sooner we get the business over, I can see how to repay you with the pleasure. I can't wait to get out of these tight clothes and relax. I grinned sheepishly. Way to go, babe, was my only reply. I'm just not good at banter when I'm about to get fried. Catch up with me later, Razor, I said. Unless you have to cut and run. Nellie took my hand, wedged it firmly between her arm and ample bosom, and led me through the door into a small corridor, then up some steep stairs, our bodies melding into the darkness. I wasn't complaining. I could hear the voices of the politician and his minders in a room at the top of the stairs. She opened the door. It was so dark I could hardly see a thing. Then, before my eyes became accustomed to the gloom, I felt someone come up behind me and push me inside. From the size and bulk, it had to be the happy hippo. He put his arm around my neck, pulling me back, whilst his rat-faced colleague began to frisk me. His hand went into personal places, usually only frequented by girlfriends. I brought my knee up to his crotch and came into contact with something small and soft. He gave a yelp of pain and staggered back, so I swiveled around and tried the same move with the other leg on Hippo. But he was ready for me and grabbed my foot, flinging me across the room like a piece of fluff. I landed in a heap and lay there for a moment, catching my breath. I was shaken but beginning to stir when I could see Ratface making his way towards me again. I put my hand in my pocket but found only knuckles. Damn, I thought, progressing to a naughtier word. I mentally flicked through my karate black belt for beginners and decided on number seven. It involves doing a double high kick from a crouch position and spinning back into a jackknife dive. Impossible, you may think. And you would be right. I landed on the floor with both of the thugs pinning me down. They yanked me up by my hair and pulled me across the room to another door. Ratface opened it and Hippo threw me inside. It was large, but even darker than the first. I staggered across toward the far wall, 
and from the sound of the voices and clatter of glasses, it was probably situated right above the bar. I could hear a few of the punters ordering their beer, and Dinah singing. We're having a hate wine. It was obviously true, because outside the doorway, I could just see the Honorable Tim and Nellie in a hot embrace. If they were related, it was news to their parents. Suddenly, a shot rang out and a slug whizzed past. Thinking it probably had my name on it, I fell to the floor. Cowardice is a family trait. In the darkness, I could see another figure flat on his back. He was big and was lying very still. It was Doughboy Donovan, and he was dead to the world. Even if the entire Baywatch babes gave him the kiss of life, he would still be dead tomorrow. There was a clatter of a gun falling on the floor, and from what I could see of it, I realized it was mine. It had been my gun Hippo and Ratface had been after when they frisked me, not my virtue. It was a setup. My gun would be covered with my prints and all of them originals. I made a move towards it, but before I could grab it, Hippo crunched one of his hobnailed boots over my hand. He leered down at me, and the rodent joined him, grinning. Don't bother trying to retrieve your gun, Wanabi. I'm sure the cops'll do it for you, he said. A clatter of high heels suggested Nellie had come up beside him. Her skirt was so short, I could see the San Andreas fault quite clearly now. She was wrapped around the Honorable Tim, and both were smiling. Oh, so good of you to call in, Miss Bond, the politician said politely. I understand that I'm not the only one to fall foul of Doughboy. He's got a contract out on you, too. We're going to make it look like you and Doughboy were playing colanders and sieves. <laughs> so sorry, but we've got to kill and run. Oh, but you won't be lonely, he added smoothly. We've already called the police. Such upright defenders of the law. <laughs> As if to prove the point, I could hear the police sirens in the distance. Nellie leaned over and blew me a kiss. Sorry, Wanarby. We only needed your body. But not necessarily you in it. Why, you two-faced bitch, I snarled. I wanted a thumper just as I did my Barbie doll. I knew I'd been framed and was about to be hung. The cops had got so many raps to pin on me, I was already a candidate for acupuncture. You say I'm a bitch like it's a bad thing, but I'll take it as a compliment. After all, dogs don't worry if you call them by another name. Nellie whined as she began to walk out of the room. She changed her voice to mimic mine. Goodbye, sugar. Or do you prefer honey or sweetie? She spat the endearments out as if they were a bitter taste in her mouth, finishing up with... Dyke. Well, had I ever rung the wrong number? Although she was right, of course, and at any other time I would have joined the debate. But I felt a bit inhibited with the egg timer on my life running down to a few grains.
I watched as Hippo knelt towards Domoy and carefully put a forty-five into the fat fingers. He then swiveled them around so that the gun was now aimed at me. Yes, I could see how it would look, the pair of us in a fatal shootout. And me caught on the very day I wasn't wearing clean underwear. Well, Mother had always said, it's always a good idea to plan ahead. But then the damnedest thing happened. Light suddenly cascaded into the darkening room as the door opened and two figures came in. From the outlines, I recognized Razor Sharp and Rusty Chain. All right, Bond. You're in a sticky situation. Your number is up. Yeah. Rusty was almost giggling. He began to count on his fingers in great concentration. <laughs> Seven, eight, ten. You're it. What happened to nine? I shouted. I'm planning on at least nine lives. There were two short, sharp explosions coming from the doorway as more shots echoed around the room. There was a scream and I felt Hippo slump down beside me. Oh shit, I've been hit, he said in unexpected poetry. Bloody hell, me as well, said Rodent as he fell beside him. There was a moment's silence, then... Jeez, we've cleaned the wrong ones. Let's get out of here. I saw Razor turn back towards the door, and Rusty was right behind him, the clatter of their boots echoing down the stairs outside. The two extra bodies lay still. The floor was getting crowded. I staggered to my feet just as Rick came in. Say, what's going on in here? He switched on the light, staring at the three bodies lying inert in pools of blood. Christ, wannabe! Not again! There are other ways of getting rid of non-paying customers, you know? Sure, I said. Doughboy comes dead care of these two. I nodded to the two minders, and they come dead courtesy of Razor and Rusty. I went over and picked up my gun from the floor. Larden tried to set me up for killing Doughboy. His thugs were about to kill me, too, when Razor and friend had the same idea. My, aren't you the popular one? Rick said with his familiar grin. And Splinter and Smokey are downstairs, still waiting in line. Just then, we were both aware of the sirens right outside the front door and brakes screeching to a halt. Doors slammed, and I could hear the cops giving each other directions. Is this the back way? I nodded to the window on the far side of the room. Looking down, I could see a narrow back alley. Rick nodded, and I flung the window open wide, saying, Thanks, Rick. I owe you another one. I made a sudden dive through the window, hoping I would think what else to do before I landed outside. Although the really nice thing about not planning is that failure isn't too big a disappointment. But this time I was in luck. I landed on Rusty as he was leaving the back door. It was a soft landing as I trampolined right onto his belly. Razor was right behind and I fell onto him in my second surface for air. Christ, Wanabi, you've got more lives than a Siamese cat. Don't you ever lay down and die like a law-abiding citizen? Razor asked. No, and with the cops this close to three corpses, I suggest you don't either, I said. We could hear the cops making their way through the bar, 
before going upstairs. Then, from the sudden yell of excitement, it was apparent they had found our three parting presents. Crouching low into the shadows, we made our way from one garbage dump to another, before gaining the main road. It was fairly quiet, with only one car coming down the highway. As it got close, Razor threw Rusty in front of it. The driver screeched to a halt, yelling, What the bloody hell do you think you're doing? Stealing your car, creep. Rusty said, as he thumped him across the head. He jumped into the car, and Razor was quick to follow. Wanna lift, wannabe? He called out as the car began to speed away. I gave him the finger and was about to make my way back to my car when I heard an echo. Yeah, wanna lift one, Arby? We've got a nice comfy car waiting. I turned and saw the two cops who I had last seen going into Rick's. You look like shit, Wanabi. Is that the style now? Jeered B1, who was a clone of his partner. Without the courtesy. A closed mouth gathers no foot, I told myself, then ruined it by saying, Ever thought of joining the human race? It must get real lonely on your planet. B1 grinned at his companion, who scowled and walked menacingly toward me. I put my hands up. I know when I'm beat. Okay, so what's on your mind, officers, if you'll forgive the tautology? We've just found three corpses, and each one had a grudge against you. I hope you've got a good alibi. I sighed. The way my life was going, if everyone with a grudge against me finished up dead, I would finish up with a tally larger than Capone. Resigned to the fact it was a bad night for the telly, and prison grub was four-star for me these days, I said, I'll tell you all I know, but you probably won't believe me. Okay, Pinocchio, said one of them as he cuffed me and pushed me into the car. We'll keep our eyes on your nose. It took five hours to convince everyone at the station that I was simply a victim of circumstance, and that my nose wasn't planted on my chest. So it was the early hours of morning when I finally left the station and hailed a cab. I gave the cabbie the address to my apartment. I figured it was worthwhile taking the chance of a re-entry. After all, my landlord had only threatened to do what half the hoods in the country had failed to do, and I needed a shower and clean clothes. Somebody's blood was all over me, and I didn't feel I needed the donation. Depressed, I got into the elevator, and just to make things worse, my favorite tune came through the Muzak channel. Mick Jagger's I Can't Get No Satisfaction just doesn't cut it with a Montavani backing. How was I that old? I felt I was going around on a turntable and couldn't get off. In the 60s, people took acid to make the world weird. Now it really was weird, and they were taking Prozac to make it normal. I walked into my pad and looked around with dissatisfaction. Since Rent-A-Room had reclaimed their furniture, it was just too damned clean and functional. Even the houseplants were still alive, although none were remotely smokable. In a state of gloom, I walked over to my answering machine and pressed the buzzer. Three messages spoke out at me one after another. Wanabi, this is your mother. 
the woman who carried you in her womb for eleven months in absolute agony. Call me. Wanabi, this is your mother, the woman who scrimped and saved and wore her fingers to the bone so that you could go to college and freak around and waste your life. Call me. Wanabi, this is... The line went dead as I yanked the plug from its socket. It was like cutting an umbilical cord, but without the pain. I poured myself a scotch. It was going to be the last from the bottle. I sat down in the one comfortable chair and thought about Nellie. It was not the first time I had got taken in by a chick. She was right. I should get myself a dog. I had thought about it from time to time. After all, there were so many compensations. Dogs will forgive you for playing with other dogs. And what's more, a dog will let you put a collar on it without calling you a pervert. Then again, a dog couldn't ask you how your day was and congratulate you when you didn't get killed. I gulped at the last few drops of the liquor morosely. Maybe I was in the wrong business. I had certainly misread all the clues. I thought about life, my life, and counted how many people wanted me dead. Flicking through some opened bills, I saw the final rent notice again, and a few others to be paid. The count doubled. Suddenly, in the quiet of the night, there was a knock at the door. Three raps. I got up to answer it. There was a dame standing there that would have made Helen of Troy look like a has-been. Her dress was short and tight, and her perfume smelt like invitation. Is this the right address for one RB Bond? My name is Sars, Gloria Sars, and I'm in trouble. It seemed that Gloria's were coming thick and fast into my life. Her voice was dripping with so much honey. I was convinced at least a dozen hives must be be empty. I couldn't fly into the web fast enough. After all, she was big, she was blonde, and she was beautiful. This city has a million great stories, and this has been the millionth. You have been listening to Too Many Crooks Spoiled the Plot by Brianda Cross. Julie Hoverson was Wanabi Bond, Brianda Cross was Gloria Stitz, Mark Antony was Rick the Barman, and Toby Chittenden, the Honourable Tim Larden, whilst John Cross was Razor Sharp. For more Wannabe adventures, please go to fastfictionpodcast.com for Two Dykes on a Bike, A Time to Die, The Valentine Massager, or Death by Fermentation. Thank you.